the three Mikes are hitting the stage. Come see Mike Shea. I love baseball because it's the only sport where players communicate with sign language, and by sign language I mean the catcher plays with his balls. The pitcher's just up there on the mound nodding and shaking his head, and the catcher's down there just like flicking those things around. Mike Vanderveen. I'm an addict in recovery. Yeah, I just celebrated seven years clean a couple months ago. Thank you so much. My old drug dealers do not share your sentiment. And Mike Wells. I have a dream catcher hanging above my bed. It's just a picture of my future children. Because once you have kids, your dreams don't matter anymore. Just ask any parent who ever had a dream. At Bricky's Comedy Club on April 29th. Three mics and a mic. April 29th at Bricky's Comedy Club in Miamisburg, Ohio. Get your tickets now at brickyscomedy.com. Sometimes life can give you the raw deal, and that's where Dope comes in. Dope provides edible cookie dough in a variety of flavors and styles for you, delivered to your house deliciously and intact. Dope also donates a portion of every sale to the She Recovers Foundation with a minimum guaranteed donation of $40,000 every year. She Recovers is a nonprofit charity with a mission to connect, support, and empower women in or seeking recovery. You can also use the code TBL05TB. L05 to get $5 off your order at checkout. Once again, just go check out Dope at www.dope.com. That's www.doughp.com and use the code TBL05 to get $5 off your order at checkout. Why the f did it take me 30 seconds to write about f***ing a dead kid? But I can't write anything about my own child. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm also pretty sure I'm Gary Oldman, and I just don't know it because he's such a good actor. Gary Oldman doesn't even know who Gary Oldman he is. <laughs> Tequila does terrible things to me. The MGK gives good blowjobs. <laughs> <laughs> Cookie Monster being on the other side of the I'm a father. I have never f***ed a dead kid. I have no. <laughs> reference to that. We're going to do interviews. I've never done an interview before, so suck my dick. No, but you were. that. I mean, you were interviewed on this show a couple times before you came on. Yeah. So. No, I don't know how to do an interview. That's what I mean. Oh, okay. I don't know how to do the interviewer yeah. part. You know how to be interviewed. You yeah. don't know how to do the interviewing. It's all right. Well, well you're going to get a fucking crash course in it today. Just introduce yourself. Okay. Yeah. So who the fuck are you? Yeah. My name's Vander. I am an addict. No, no, no. This isn't that kind of interview. My name is Vander. <laughs> I'm a person who used to use drugs, <laughs> but no um, longer do. Well, because the first time we had you on, I mean, and we've talked about it a lot of times as you've been on here, you know, obviously we've talked, and you talk about it on stage, we've talked about, you know, your time in prison and in and, and, and rehab from, from drug addiction and stuff like that. Um Let's let's get to the other sh shit then. Um, when's the first time you saw tits? Damn, probably my sister's. Which that's that's not at all where I saw that going. Uh, that I mean, it was an accident. <laughs> God, I hope so. I mean, it depends. Are we talking about like on TV or first time you saw a bare breast in that, person that you remember that you can remember <laughs> just in general. It, first time you ever saw a boob. It would have been my sister's. Okay, uh, I was I'm, probably ten and I walked in and she was twelve at the time, but. I'd hit puberty, and they were it was hanging. 
They was hanging. Cool interview ever. All right. <laughs> we just, we peaked on the first question. Um, uh, now, how are your balls? My balls are doing great. Okay. They're, They're like a spicy much, meat, the balls. <laughs> They're much larger than the penis would indicate Ooh, they which, should be. I like to start off with fucked up questions like that just to, to, to break the ice and, and, and get the awkward out of the room. So how did you, like, how did, because you, you, I mean, you're a musician, you're a comedian, yeah. you've done some acting, like, where did the, like, as an entertainer, like, where did that come from originally? Like, where was it, where did the desire to do music come from? Because I guess you've been doing that long, the longest. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> so where did, where did the music side come from? So I was 10 years old. My parents got me a guitar for Christmas that year. Um, and yeah, I just, I had no friends. I was a lonely child. I didn't really leave my house a whole lot. And I just fucking, as a kid, when you find that one thing that you enjoy doing, you just never stop doing it. You do it all day, every day, as much as you can. So from 10 until, you know, 29 now, I've just constantly been playing guitar. Yeah. Was the, uh, was there like a particular like, piece of music song or artist whatever that like made you want to even try guitar so just learning like all like the rock and roll songs at first i had a, a cousin who kind of guided me through that uh crazy train iron man smoke on the water you know all those songs that people learn first like the, the most, when they play guitar the most basic guitar songs yeah. that every guitar player has ever learned how to yeah same thing so that that was just mostly me learning those songs and trying to fit in with uh with my cousin he was my older cousin so I obviously i looked up to him right uh but and i was i was about 13 or 14 maybe and city and color uh this is when i didn't really have like the big amps like i didn't have I loved shredding music like I loved metal yeah but I didn't have the means to play a whole lot of metal but I did have an acoustic guitar uh, so City and Color there uh, you know Dallas Green's first album was City and Color I think it's called uh, Sometimes I listened to that like all day every day I became obsessed with it and that got me more into like the acoustic folk Americana side of things and I think that's really when uh, like. A, a real passion for playing guitar kicked off. And then I kind of just like taught myself how to sing over the years. I don't naturally have a good voice, but I just try it a lot. That's why it's not very good. <laughs> when, at what point did you, cause, cause you and you and our buddy Jason Aldridge and his brother, Jeremy go way back. Yeah. When did you guys, when did you guys meet? Jason is a guy that I looked up to as well. He's four years older than uh, me. I was actually, I graduated with his little brother, Jeremy. Jeremy's the younger Aldridge. Um, who looks who looks way older? I don't know what it is. He looks way older than Jason. I guess Jason I just don't see it because I've known him. It's, it's, it is the hair. It's, yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. <laughs> Jeremy, like, kind of, I don't know. Damn, this is going to sound like a dig at Jason, but Jeremy just got super mature, super fast. I guess, like, from, like, the social standpoint of things. I think, I think Jason knows who he is. Jason's always just been a super chill, like, kind of, you know, yeah. kind at his heart, uh, young soul. Uh, so, I th and Jeremy kind of went more into, like, the mature, manly kind of attitude. So, that's probably why he gets depicted that way. Plus, he's going bald, and, Jer and Jason's not going bald. Jason's got one of the best heads of hair I've ever seen. It's beautiful. Crazy. Um, you see his mom. His hairstyle is exactly like his mom's. <laughs> that is weird as fuck. <laughs> <coughs> uh, 
Um, so you guys met, like, you guys met in high school, obviously. Yeah, I did musicals and shit with Jeremy. Jason was a senior when Jeremy and I were freshmen, and he was in the first musical that I ever did. Uh, and yeah, I just look, I looked up to Jason like a lot. Like he was like the guy, like everybody liked him. He was fun to be around and he played guitar. So I looked up to him while we did that musical. And then obviously he graduated high school and, and moved on. Uh, but we ended up linking up a few times throughout my time in high school and hanging out, you know, smoking a little bit of pot, playing music. Uh, what was the musical you guys were in? Anything Goes. Good time. No idea. No idea. Yeah, it's a it's a musical that takes place on a ship. I honestly forget the main plot of it, but he played a guy named Moonface Martin. He's like a Dick Tracy villain. He crushed the performance. <laughs> he was so good. And he was. He was the fucking he was the bad guy too. So yeah. That musical was a lot of fun. So yeah, we him and I kept in touch over the years, on and off. And uh yeah, by the time I graduated high school, that's when him and I really started kicking it. We had that whole summer. Uh, he had his, this fucking uh, 09 Volkswagen Jetta that we would drive around everywhere all day for the entirety of summer and just jam out, play music and shit. So you guys play together like in a band or just jammed? Or Not in a band. We, we yeah. would just jam together. He'd bring his guitar over and we'd sit in my room and jam out. Which one of you was the first one to do Wonderwall? Uh, <laughs> neither. <laughs> neither of us. I never learned it. Good. I'd be ashamed of you if you did. What? So people learn that song. It's like people it, want to know what it's like to be like when you're sitting on around. Purpose. It's like, it's like the long, one, of the, one of the oldest stereotypes of, of our generation is like if you've got an acoustic guitar, you learn how to play. Because that fucking Ryan Adams cover of Wonderwall, yeah. like every douchebag with a guitar knew how to play. Exactly. It. You're so. in a college party, a fraternity party, and I, I the one dude college. barely knows. <laughs> <laughs> Neither did I. So is that one? That's where the stereotype <laughs> comes from. So is that one nutsack playing? Yeah. Playing night Ryan Adams Wonderwall cover, yeah. so jump in anytime you want. No, I'm trying to think. You're like, hey, what's up? And I'm like, uh, penis. <laughs> I'm still on. Me at the balls. <clears throat> um, what? What really? So like, from going from obviously guitar to theater to what? What initially made you want to like what? made you want to start doing comedy or was there a point where you're like, Oh, I kind of want to try this or was it just, you always like stand up or what? I mean, yeah, I've always been a huge fan of stand up. Uh, I think uh, the passion really developed shortly after I got out of prison and I watched uh, like, I wasn't, I didn't know Tom Segura at the time and I would, I watched like all three of his specials at, at the time, three specials on Netflix. And uh, I was like, damn, that dude's funny as fuck. And I feel like his personality is a lot like mine would be if I was, a stand-up comedian and just you know throughout teenage years and, and early adulthood people would always tell me that i'm just fucking naturally a goofball and they could see me doing something like stand-up uh, so yeah kind of like your dad but sits down yep <laughs> <laughs> he can stand up too just it takes him a little just while. takes him a bit he, he gets there eventually um so like I'm trying to think. So Tom Tom Segura was kind of like your your ultimate your favorite comic. Yeah, yeah, he was my main source of inspiration to try it. Now when you when you started doing stand up, did you try to write like him, or did you just were you like? Cause that's that's what a lot of people happen. They have us. They want to do stand up, but then they figure out, oh, like, yeah. Like I, this I realized is, soon that like very early on, I'm like, damn, if I do this too much, like if I, you know, mimic him too much i'm just a fucking hack and there's no point in me doing this shit um 
but once I really got my foot in and realized that a lot of my material was going to be about like my own shit, uh, my own story, very personable, like nobody can ever say that I stole these jokes from anybody because it's my own shit. Uh, but I do, I, I feel like I've adapted to a lot of his mannerisms and, uh, just the, the way that he talks, not the shit that he talks about, but <clears throat> do you feel like when you do that, do you feel like, Oh, like, like I do this thing sometimes where like I'll say something, not joke wise, just in general. And it always make, I feel like I'm like somebody, like, I feel like this person I went to high school with it's something I do with my eyes. I'm like, yeah. Oh, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that you're like you do this like certain thing like oh like god damn it like I'm Tom I'm not trying I'm, to yeah, yeah I'm yeah. being exactly like them. I yeah. say right on too much, and it's because I had this friend Ryan Berger back when I was 20 years old, and he would always just say right on Ryan Ryan everything. Berger Ryan Berger yep excellent yeah. good name great dude oh. love that guy. I think every comic has that when they start out is you find that yeah. comic that is like gets you into it, and at first you think well if I write like them if I tell jokes like them. Yeah. I'll I'll do West, but especially the younger you start, like I did, like I got into it with Blue Collar and Dane Cook <laughs> yep. and those guys because that was, was big at the time. It's like, well, if I write jokes like them, I'll be good. And you learn you learn you learn what a hack is pretty quick because you become yeah. one. So, but also you got into stand up. I mean, at a point where like Facebook and social media and all that yeah was a thing. So, what was it like for you starting the first time? coming into like an established community with kind of like all these out these avenues of outreach like when you first came in like how did how did you feel being that new guy coming into this it it felt good it kind of all the all the resources that were there for me is what really like drove me to keep on trying because i didn't know that dayton had a community like this like i was out of prison for more than a year before I realized that there's like a lot of open mics and a lot of comics who do these shows and these mics and everything. So once I learned that those resources were all at my disposal, I mean, it obviously feels awkward being the new guy. And, you know, when most new comics come on now, even when I notice a new guy coming on, I don't expect it to be any good. So I know what that must have been like for the veterans when I started. They must be like, man, this guy's going to fucking blow like every new comic does. Uh, so there was a little bit of nervous and anxiety where that's concerned, just being the new guy and not knowing like the fundamentals, not knowing the etiquette of of trying to get on shows and, and you know, how many mics do I go to? Do I work on these same jokes at every fucking mic? Like a little bit of nervousness because obviously there's so many questions that I had at first and I didn't know how to ask them without sounding like an antsy little fucking six-year-old. I think that's what a lot of people don't realize is uh, as a new comic – you have to work on the same jokes. Yeah, but exactly. like And all new comics don't realize that. It's like, oh, I got to laugh at that. I can keep that one. No, you can, and then you go to something else. No, you have to work yeah. on the same thing over and over until you hate it. Yeah. Most comics, the longer you do it, I think the more you realize, like, no joke is ever, like, done. Okay. Right. You're always going to do something else with it. Yeah. I almost said Gary Oldman, but Gary Goldman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. The alphabet is the state joke. That's the, one of the best jokes I've ever heard but it in my took life. Him years, yeah, years to write and to perfect it. Like, yeah, it's a joke is never finished. But a yeah. lot of people like, especially when there's a broad premise. Like I don't know what joke you're talking about, but oh, you really? Said it's about states. Yeah. I'll send it to you later. It, there's it's, fifty it's, of those. Like I can see why it would have taken him a yeah. lot. Of, it's a. Uh, it took him like I think ten plus years. Yeah. yeah. 
to write it. And you're like, fucking Jesus. Dude, I'm two years into it, and I still only have about 13 minutes of, like, prison and drug-related shit. But, you know, honestly, I think that's actually kind of impressive that you have that as something to pull off. It's not impressive yeah. that you went to jail, but, like... Oh, no, I that, use it to my advantage 100%. <laughs> but, like, but that you've, that, you've, that you've been able to find that, that thing that you can pull, because there's a lot of comics who go years just trying to get five yeah. that they're comfortable taking on stage regularly for you to be able to take what was ultimately, you know, for lack of a better term, one of the worst parts of your life yeah, and to turn it on its head like that is a lot of people would be afraid, yeah, you know, worried to, to, to. so where, where do you think like the, uh, the drive to, to, to flip it like that comes from? I think not being like not being afraid of what what people think about it like I know it's like it wasn't fucking cool what I did obviously so deep down I'm like oh shit people are going to think I'm a piece of shit for what I did but it's to me in my eyes it's better to talk about it openly than to like you know not talk about it at all tell no one and then people dig it up on me like later on down the road and use it against me like uh this is going to be super nerdy. There's a Game of Thrones quote where he says, uh, oh, some, one of the things Tyrion says about like I'm being, sure it was being a dwarf and owning it and, you know, if, if I wish I knew the exact Well, quote. it's, it's, it's the old adage of like getting out in front of the joke. Like yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to, yeah. it's why I got into it. It's the idea of like, I'm going to laugh at this yeah. before anybody else can. It's, yeah. it's Eminem and eight mile up against Anthony Mackie. I'm going to, yeah, talk about all the bullshit that you're going to come after me for so you got nothing else to say yeah it's the weirdest fucking reference i've ever made that's but a perfect <laughs> reference and it's like hey what, you can't guy. talk anything else that's <laughs> <laughs> the best fucking thing do you ever do you ever find yourself um like because for a lot of people like for like for me example comedy has always been like the cheapest form of therapy yeah. is it is it like that for you is it is it your kind of like a coping mechanism for you or like a way to work through your shit yeah i definitely think it's, it's one of my coping mechanisms you know like being more open about it is definitely it helps with the the healing process not just with like the trauma that everyone goes through that's ever been to prison and being away from all their loved ones uh, but also from like for like being an addict like being open about the drug use specifically, like say I never went to prison, but I was still like an addict. Like I would be, I would still be doing stand up and using that stuff as my material. So you know, on both hands, like it helps with the recovery from the addiction as well as the recovery from the trauma of having been incarcerated for as long as I was. Do you ever feel like maybe this isn't a, like a judgment or anything. It's just generally just a question. Do you ever worry about being like, like, uh, pigeonholed or typecast or anything like that as, as a comic for being like the the ex-con addict comic like is that something you try to like hit a point like because do you try to make sure do you try to balance out the drug addict ex-con material versus other stuff or do you like do you have a preference as far as that you, you know what i'm saying like do do i do i want are to you, be are, known are for you it? are you worried about being known for that i guess what i'm saying no, I mean, obviously there's scenarios that it could be, you know, 
cumbersome for me in my progress in comedy. But I see more opportunities for it to work in my favor than for it to work against me. Like it's what? a unique thing about me. So, like, nobody else really has that to talk about. Uh, and if they did, then fuck, yeah, I'm partnering up with them and we're going to fucking do huge things together. But, like, it's unique to me. And I think people will, will, will view it in a higher light before they, like, bash me for it. Mm-hmm. If that, I don't know if that answers the question no. efficiently. Now... Down the road, do you want to write more about not just the addiction side of everything? Yeah, I mean, I enjoy, and obviously, because you have really good jokes about your dad and everything. Yeah, like that. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I love, I love just you know, uh, same dark humor in both. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just witnessing life on life's terms yeah. and using that as a joke. Yeah, definitely. Um, I hope that one day I have, you know, hours worth of material mixed in with the drug and alcohol stuff and then just my day-to-day living. Like, I got jokes about being fat. I got jokes about my dad. Like, I enjoy writing that stuff. I really enjoy when it works. Uh, but, you know, most of my writing will be about yeah. addiction because there's just there's a gold mine there that I can keep writing on that shit forever. Absolutely. It's four years of your life. that Two years using drugs and then four yeah. years in prison. Yeah, I can come up with shit forever. How does your how does your wife and family feel about the comedy thing and particularly like having comedy focused on this fucked up part of your life? My mom won't come to a show at all. She's still like, dude, I'm just like I'm her little baby. Uh And like she uh, she's not delusional or anything, but she wants to ignore the fact that I was ever hooked on drugs or in prison. She just doesn't want to look at me like that and. It took me a while to learn that, like, because she was ducking the shows, man. Like, I would tell her about the shows all the time, and she wouldn't, like, explicitly say, I'm not going to be there. So I was like, eventually she's going to come out to one of these shows. But eventually she kept it real with me. She was like, when you're up there, like, talking about being in prison and how, like, nobody tried to fuck you for four years, I'm like, I I don't want to listen to that shit. I don't want to hear it. So the it, mom, it's true. Right. Yeah. It's true. I but swear. mom, mom, I didn't get fucked. You, it's fine. You told me I was a pretty boy. And <laughs> <laughs> you and even if a, you gave me too much self-esteem for prison, I thought. <laughs> <laughs> even if they would have tried, I would not have let them, unless they took it. Then I, I wouldn't have a choice. How do you feel about that? As far as mom not wanting to come to the shows, like I mean, it's. It, I, I wish she would come out, but at the same time, like I don't want somebody at one of my shows that is not going to enjoy themselves, let alone feel like the opposite of enjoyment right. watching me perform. So, but that's, that's honestly one of the bigger reasons that I, you know, write jokes about my dad and write jokes about other shit outside of comedy, not just because like, it's always good to have, you know, cleaner material. Mm. Cause I can leave out the cussing with the drugs and prison shit, but like it doesn't, it still doesn't, I couldn't it's, go to an, uh, a family-friendly show and talk about that shit. So I'm doing heroin. <laughs> right. Hey, kids, how you doing? Uh, but, yeah, so because it's good to have clean material, obviously, uh, but also I want my mom to come to a show right. one day. Because you don't really do <laughs> jokes about her either. No, I think she, uh, she's mentioned uh, in that joke about how, like, my brother yeah. was scared to take pills and shit. Uh, so I'm, but other than that, like... What about your dad? Where's he? Where's he uh, feel about all this? He's cool with it, man. My dad is, uh, he's your typical fucking like stoner hippie guy. <laughs> uh, not politically. Politically, he's not stoner hippie, but he just, dude, he smokes weed. He's fucking all 
because he's missing both of his legs. He's been on prescription pain pillars for his, his whole fucking life. So, yeah. but he's super chill about it. Like he's he came out to Carmichael's one time, and I flat out told the joke about him. You know, and he, oh, he the, was fine. The legs with it. thing, yeah. And he doesn't give a fuck about my drug related material. Like he's he's cool about it. He doesn't come out to a whole lot of shows, but he's he's cool with it. He doesn't mind it. Well, your wife obviously comes out all the time. She yeah. comes to Barrel yeah. House almost every week. And um, how does she feel about like the material in general? Like you reliving? Is, the, is she is she is she the dutiful, supportive wife because she has to be, or is she is she encouraging? Like like, the, or has she told? Has she said one way or the other? No, I'm asking, I, you, I'm asking you to out your wife's personal feelings on this on this yeah, interview. And, and <laughs> honestly, I believe that she's perfectly okay with it. I think she's she's proud of me for coming as far as I have and you know working on something that I enjoy doing. Like she loves to see that. She loves it when I'm happy the same way I love it when she's happy. Uh, and honestly, if comedy made her unhappy, like if me talking about that shit made her unhappy, I flat out I wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think she's okay with it. Deep down, she probably has the same worries about uh you know how it could be used against me but those are so deep down and so highly unlikely that i don't really think it's a factor in how she feels about it that's good if if you weren't doing comedy right now how would you what would be your if it was as not music not not even without Mm -hmm. music or comedy what would be your creative outlet i i don't think i have one get the fuck out (laughs) dude that's it for me music and comedy i mean i i like playing video games but you know nobody wants to do that for fucking 40 hours a week Uh, i work a good job though like working at a rehab like working as a clinician for people going through what i went through like that in and of itself is rewarding and like I'm sure if I didn't have music or comedy, I'd probably just dive further into that and not necessarily like work a boatload of hours, but like yeah. just get more involved in the community with, uh, with you know, with drug addicts and rehabs. Yeah, okay. If you could open up for somebody, who would it be? Like your ultimate dream, open up. Like reasonable or like house money? Top of the dream. I would, Tom Segura. Okay. If I can do a show with Tom Segura, I would shit my pants. What if he was like, if you want to open for me, you've got to blow my testicle. Not blow it, but like. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. I would have deep-throated his cock if you would have asked that. But like, Tom, if you listen, I mean, which yeah, I don't I'll think you do. I'll whistle on his ball if that's all it if takes. The ball whistled back. It went. <laughs> Started talking to you. Hello, <laughs> Christina B., get your man. <clears throat> ultimately, what is your ultimate goal with stand-up? Take it as far as it'll take me. Um, I mean, I'd like to make it to a point where it's my full-time job, where I can just do it and make enough money. Like, not like, I'm not saying I need millions, but, you know, I can make around what I'm making now, maybe a little bit more doing comedy, just doing shit like, I look up to guys like Jeff Leeson and Tony Baker who kind of pave their own way and like they're not out here signing deals with Netflix or Hulu or anything like that. They're just kind of touring all the funny bones once or twice a year and making enough money to, uh, to live off of. It's like most people don't realize Ralphie May, before he was even big, was like making 300K a year and that was before anybody knew who the f- yeah. 
fuck he was. He Rob, just, Robert Kelly was the same way. He yeah. was making like 100K a year. Nobody knew who he was until he did the Torgasm thing with Dane Cook, but he was just, he just did his own thing. Yeah. I mean, Kevin, Funny Bones pay well for headlining comics that can well, do a whole hour. Well, even on a smaller scale, like Kevin Rupert prior to COVID was hosting yeah. shows left and right and was basically, you know, I, I, to make it old school as fuck, like we look at Edgar Allan Poe, he was at least the country's first professional writer. He wasn't making a shitload of money writing, but he was making enough to pay his bills writing. Nobody had done that before. Yeah. And so there is there is that idea of like if I can just make enough to survive doing the thing I love to do. Totally worth it. It's totally fucking yeah. worth it. Do you have like a like a like like twenty like by the end of twenty twenty three, is there like one thing you want to accomplish? Just get to a point where I'm featuring more. Like I know like the three of us are kinda all you know, three punching a show. I don't know. Do, do we call it? Are we co-headlining? Are the three of us co? I have no fucking idea. I don't know. What I just call it, we're, we're we're putting on a show. We're putting, putting on, on a show. show. I'm doing more time than I've ever done. Uh, but yeah, just get on some of the local shows as a feature act, twenty minute. I'd like to do that. You know, by the end of the year, I hope to get to that point and do it at least a couple times. Are you are you a big? Because like I'm I'm a goal setter. I'm one of those guys. Like I like to have like goals for like yeah. Just 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 because I am. Are you, are you like that? Are you like a goal setter or are you more of a go with the flow, let the pieces fall where they will? More like that. Like, obviously, I have things that I hope to obtain and I try to keep them as tangible as possible. Uh, but, yeah, I'm just going with the flow. Do you think tangible also sounds like tangerine? <laughs> yes. <coughs> In fact, like the, first, <laughs> the first syllable when I have is the same exact. <laughs> <That's>, uh, <laughs> wrong. <laughs> oh, I think somebody, somebody says tangible. I'm like, oh, tangible. <laughs> God damn it. Well, someday somebody will say like, yeah, I want something to be. I want comedy to be like tangerine, tangerine. and Mike's just going to fucking come. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's going to make my balls just going to deflate. So much semen coming out of this, them. They're going to grow to the size of a tangerine and then they will explode. Um, you guys always make sure to enunciate the fuck out of the word enigma. I've never even said that word. I can't, oh, okay. Outside of talking about Batman, I don't think I've said that <laughs> word very often. So, nah, nah, I'm not. I though I think I dreamt last night. I said the N word, and somebody <laughs> beat the shit out of me. That was you on the news, okay? Which um, I don't, I don't know how. I don't know if it says a lot about my dreams, but like I just said the word Nike, and somebody misunderstood what I said. <laughs> well, I mean, there was the one time in high school I, I I I was speaking a little too fast, and and I we I said the word Nicaragua, and they got a weird look at first, oh, and, I, yeah. and they were like, "What'd you say?" And I was like, "Oh, okay, that's fair." Uh, like Niger, <laughs> yeah, like Ni- Niger. Yeah, Niger's another one. The first time I saw that on a map, I was like, "I'm sorry, the name of this country is what? <laughs> <laughs> is that where that word comes from?" <laughs> um, <laughs> so, like, okay, let's do f- yeah favorite comedy of all time, like, like movie favorite special or movie. Oh, fuck, I just gonna do. Like like a movie that just makes you laugh every fucking time. Yeah, I have a sweet spot for Anchorman two. It's a good movie. That movie's fucking incredible. Specific, I just watched specifically the sequel. Yeah, I mean Anchorman one's great, like it's a classic, but Anchorman two is just I fucking love every second of it. Uh, I watched Ted earlier. It was on yeah. fucking FX, and yeah, Ted is fucking great fucking too. Amazing. You know how yeah. we were talking about going to improv. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I saw that Bill scene. The other, Bill Cosby. I saw that scene. I was like, God damn it. We were <laughs> just talking about that. That scene is so fucking good. Robin Williams on 9-11. <laughs> If somebody says Starbucks. Nobody said Starbucks. <laughs> the offices of Charlie Hebdo. You people are monsters. <laughs> um, so you do the comedy thing. You do the music thing. Is there is there like an avenue of entertainment of some kind that like you haven't touched on that that you that you'd like to get into? I thought about like because um, I remember being in high school and like once or twice a year there we would have this uh, event in the in our auditorium where like a motivational speaker would come in and talk to us. So that's something that I've thought about too, because like beyond like the comedy aspect of it, like I'm good on stage, I have a good stage presence, um, you know, I'm good at performing in front of crowds of people. So motivational speaking, I don't know if that is constituted as. Oh. Couple comics actually do that. Yeah, there? yeah. I mean, we talked about Scotty Mays a week or two ago. Yeah. I mean, that's what he used comedy as a yeah for way into that. And I mean, God, I remember growing up, a lot of motivational speakers that came to schools were comedians by trade, and yeah, um, it's more common than you think. Is that something that like, like you talk about being a clinician and and you know working with guys going through people going through like the rehab thing and all that. Do you find that as you progress as a comedian, like as you get better as a comedian, do you find that working its way into the nine to five in some ways? It's hard because the rehab that I work for is like funded by Ohio Medicaid. Right. So they have a curriculum that they oh, so really so you've got, you've got kind of a step-by-step program. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Like we have. Please tell me it's a 12 step program. No, it's not. Actually, it. so govern uh, like since it's through the state uh, yeah. and their Medicaid program, we actually cannot like uh, force twelve steps on people. So oh, really? It's it technically falls into the same category as like religions do. Uh, oh, I like that. From a case yeah. management standpoint, we can offer up resources for it since it's you know established as like the number one primary source of recovery, right? Beyond just the treatment itself. Uh, so we can link them up with resources, but yeah, we can't actually implement it as part of our curriculum. Did, did you, from your road to recovery, did you go through those 12 steps? Yes. What was the hardest step? Man, I did a super simplistic version of the 12 steps. It was this, uh, it was this kind of like, it was this leg of Alcoholics Anonymous called Fourth Dimension Big Book Studies. Uh, and they only study like sounds like a D and D offshoot. <laughs> they literally they only study like fifteen or sixteen pages out of the entire AA book okay. that lays out how you're supposed to do the steps. A lot of people like in NA and then even AA's kind of watered it down to suit their own needs. Uh, they take forever to do the twelve steps. Like they'll you know wait years before they get all the way to step twelve. But the version that I did, it was like fucking. I was done in like a couple of days. Most so, of, so it's kind of like how you go from like I go from Catholics to Christians to Southern Baptists yeah, to yeah, Mormons, yeah. like yeah, yeah, different. Uh, I can't think of the word, but yeah, yeah, the different denominations. Yeah, uh, but yeah, the fourth dimension, like it's it's super straightforward. Most of the step, well, not most, but at least like three or four of the steps are just a prayer that you say and then you're done with it. Like step one is just like, oh, you know, you're fucked up. You know, you're an addict. You're done with step one. Do you know that you can't do this on your fucking by yourself? Oh, 
You're done with fucking step two. Step three, read this, say this prayer. Turn your life over to God, even if you don't know who God is yet, or if you don't even believe in God, if you can just be willing to believe in God, read this prayer, you're done with step three. Fourth step is the inventory. Everybody's like searching fearless moral inventory. Uh, The guy that ran me through the steps was like, give me three names of the people that you hate the most throughout your whole fucking life. Tell me who she is. Because for most fucking alcoholics and addicts, it is, you know, sexual partners of some kind. So I wrote down three names, wrote why I fucking had resentments towards them. What part did I play? Fourth step, done. And then like... The bitch that turned me in. (laughs) 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 they're, They're all super simple. Yeah. In, in that denomination of AA. So, yeah, I got through it real quick. I, I, I think, like, the point I brought up earlier about, like, the, the comedy working its way, not so much in terms of, like, how you approach, like, working with these guys, but, like, the, yeah, as a comic, one of the, thing, one of the things I think you have to learn how to do innately is, is how to, like, read a room, yeah. read people, mm-hmm. it, it alter that kind of perception. Do you find that, it's helped you in terms of how you approach just viewing the people you're working with. Like, do you see the people you work with different, not only just coming out as an addict and, and a former, you know, an ex con, but that's such a, I hate saying that, but I don't know what else the other fucking term for that would be. <laughs> um, it sounds like you're like, like you got out, got out, you're on parole for murder or some bullshit. <laughs> you like an ex con. Like you're going to go carve Brooks was here on a, on a fucking support <laughs> theme. But do you find that like, Aside from being able to connect with them just as someone who's been in their position, being a, a comic as somebody who has to learn how to read strangers on a moment's notice, do you find that like those skills that you develop just as a comic oh, work yeah. into how you approach your in your job? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think uh like most clients will find out that like I'm a comedian before they find out that I'm in recovery. Like I usually, I don't really ever go out of my way to tell them like, Hey, I'm also an addict. I'm just, I be as personable as I can to each one that I have a session with. And yeah, I use my sense of humor all, all the time, mostly to, to build rapport. Cause like I'm, what I do is I do assessments on people that are coming into treatment. So like I'm asking them about their fucking deepest, darkest shit that they've been through. Uh, so yeah, I have to use humor to kind of lighten the mood at the very least. Uh, so I do that a lot. And then I usually let them kind of navigate the conversation. And a lot of times they'll end up asking me like if I'm in recovery. Uh, and then when I say yes, they're like, holy fucking shit. You don't seem like the kind of guy that would do that. Then you're like, give me your money. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You sit down with their file, you look through it and go, so David, you snorted Coke off a dick. Was he bigger than you? <laughs> Give me $500. I won't tell anybody about this. <laughs> was, it, was, it, was it a nice one? <laughs> Were you impressed? He's like, it was yours. I'm like, oh, oh, that, fuck. oh I oh, forgot about that. That's where I know you from. Yeah. <laughs> Let me put my penis in front of your face. Ah, there it is. <laughs> oh, there's that freckle. Oh, I thought I knew that freckle. Line up at the police station. <laughs> Which dick did you snort the goat? I know those dick. balls. Can you just have somebody draw a dick on your face and maybe like, <laughs> oh, that's it right there. Sorry, I didn't, I didn't recognize you. Use, use a white marker, not a black permanent marker. <laughs> oh, Dave, I didn't recognize you without my dick under your nose. That's great. How you doing, man? How's the wife? Uh, <laughs> um... All right, now, (laughs) favorite comedy special? Mostly Stories by Tom Segura. 
Okay. It was his second okay. Netflix special. Okay. Now, after Segura, nothing Segura. Who would you? Yeah. Fuck. I know. Because you always want to go to your favorite. It's like, yeah. all right, other than your favorite. Uh, Andrew Santino's new special is fucking awesome. I've seen it several times. I'd probably go with one of the neighbor Godsey Netflix specials, though. Tennessee kid, probably. Storyteller as well. I fucking love neighbor Godsey. Mm-hmm. You got to think for storyteller comics. And I think that that shows in your material because a lot of what you do is because because there's like this weird there's this weird rule you hear people talk about especially old school comics who are about like don't tell you know who are like don't tell stories that guy's like man the right story like stories are how you connect with people um is there is there a story you want to tell on stage that you feel like isn't there yet well, I've I've been setting out and I've kind of sprinkled it into sets, uh, but telling stories about like the robberies and being in the police station, yeah, and talking to the cops. Like I want to tell that story, uh, but I haven't. I just haven't put all the pieces together. Like I've, I think I've sprinkled in stuff about the one robbery, but like I'd like to I'd like to build on that and think of like you know funny punches in the midst of that story. So that's something. I've kind of already made up my mind to do it at some point. I just haven't really found a way to do it. If you could go back in time and you had to either save Hitler or save baby Stalin, who would you save? Baby Hitler or or baby Stalin, who would you save and why? But you have to kill the other one. Baby Stalin. Okay. <laughs> and why? <laughs> there was a part two to that question. <laughs> He's Stalin right now on these questions. Because <laughs> at least he was on the left. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> okay. I mean, if you, you literally asked me to pick somebody that yeah. is as far left as you can be or as far right as you can be, <laughs> yeah. like, I'm going to kill the right wing nut job. <laughs> I used to always ask this question to new moms. When I work, that I work, new moms I work with, a with they're pregnant and they always be like, "What the fuck is your problem?" Because <laughs> like, like goof off at work, and I'm like, "You're talking about killing uh, one of the babies and they're fucking pregnant." <laughs> <laughs> He's like, "Would you rather have your kid bring back a polio and kills millions of people?" Or be responsible for the worst school shooting of all time. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> and she, the answer is always school shooting because polio is way worse. Yeah, and they've always asked the question, do I get to see my kid in prison? Yes. You get to see oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's up to you. Do like you, you want, would want to? Yeah. Do you want to go visit like, him? I don't know, I've, I've asked like probably like 10 or 15 people this question. They're like, They're like what the fuck? <laughs> and, they, and they think about it because like it's me. I always ask fucked up, goof off and fucked up questions. So I want to see your HR file. Oh, <laughs> dude, my HR file's got to be like just just the size of a Harry Potter book. <laughs> <laughs> You've seen the Dewey Decimal System. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! So so what happens when you try to do an interview on the fly? Plus, I like we've talked with you about so much stuff in in your life. It's like I mean. Just so you know, I expected it to all be about drugs and prison. So, if those are the questions that you try, guys have, I'm on trying your not art, to because we've talked about that with that you matter, so man. much. It doesn't matter. You know, we're trying. Tom Segura and Burt Kreischer talk about the same shit every episode <laughs> of the fucking podcast. Yeah. Um. Well, so 
you're doing the you're mainly focused on the comedy thing. Do you? I mean, obviously, you still play music at like the open mics and stuff. Yeah, you know, I've seen you do it. Do you still pursue music the same way you pursue comedy? Not the same way. I think about it all the time, though. Like I think about, you know, because uh, I've I put a song out on Spotify like a little over a year ago. Oh no shit! And like I had like uh, like a few songs written and recorded. And, I mean, they were shitty recordings because I don't know what I'm doing with production. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's something that I've thought about. Like, I want to get in and honestly take all the songs that I have recorded plus the ones I've written ever since and, like, get, like, ten songs and, like, release, like, an album. But I just never get around to it. But I do think about it a lot. Yeah. Is that ever something you think, like, maybe, like, trade off and on like yeah I do comedy more now then I'll stop on comedy go do music or is like comedy like where the focus is comedy is definitely where the focus is it's uh it's lower maintenance like I you know I don't have to buy more equipment and you know I'm just up it's me and a microphone up there so it's it's a more uh sustainable tangible I know where it's coming back again. <laughs> it's Damn it. it's a more realistic <laughs> thing to pursue. Like so, from like a from a standpoint, like if I have to pick one that I full focus a hundred percent on and hope to one day be semi successful at it, like ten times out of ten, comedy is gonna win over music. Now, do you think because you did music beforehand, the transition to comedy was easier? Yeah, yeah. I think because I've like I said, everybody. I've always been a naturally goofy, funny, well-spoken person. And those are like the three things that you want to be as a comedian. Like if I was, if I couldn't talk to people and like if I had immense amount of social anxiety or if I had like a fucking bad stutter or if a weird accent, then like comedy might not be for me, even if I'm the funniest motherfucker in the world. Uh, but since I'm well-spoken and I'm funny, like, it was it was pretty easy. Really high that. opinion of yourself. <laughs> Do you think Australians started autism? <laughs> what the fuck? I've you are doing such weird word root association. <laughs> <laughs> I've never given I, it thought. I can't, I can't make the tangerine thing work. I'm gonna get this autism thing to work. <laughs> but I would wager to say that it is a 100 percent full blown United States of America thing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think other countries struggle with autism or school shootings. Yeah. No, it's, uh, maybe it's autism. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Not even gonna go there. <laughs> no, let's go there. Let's Who does all the school shootings, there. Mike? <laughs> Wells. White people. Whites. Oh, the whites. The autistic people. The autistic. The Wachowskis. The <laughs> you guys noticed that the, like there was a school sh- or a fucking shooting again at a bank in Louisville yeah, yesterday, and like that. nobody's because it was a fucking white guy who was mad about like getting fired or some shit. Yeah, yeah. But they're were, still like, oh, they, that, that trans bitch shot up the fucking. Yeah, that, uh, they're not really like that as much. I saw the thing today. They tried to blame him because he had pronouns on his. Yeah, he, I was like, it said he him. Yeah, I was like. He identified as the uh, typical person who would do this. <laughs> right. <laughs> and my thing is whole argument with always she identified as a he him as well. So it's prototypical. Still a white male. Yeah. Still yeah. a white male. Like it just I don't know. Well even and even this this latest one, they were trying to paint it as like, oh, you know, we're hearing that he was like, you know, 
really popular in school and came from a good family and played sports and just he just he lost his job and couldn't handle it. I'm like, and he murdered a bunch of people. Right. Let's not let's not let's like, not kill gloss over that. <laughs> like if you're that bad off, kill yourself. That's what my wife said. Don't my kill wife's other like, people. why would you kill other people? I was like, listen. <laughs> listen, the reason why he killed other people is because he was suicidal. He's gonna take everybody down that hurt him. Yeah. And that's why he did it. And she's like, it makes she's like, I get that, but why? Because he wanted to he inflict as them. much pain yeah. as possible. Exactly. He wanted everyone to share in his pain before he... I don't get it. why people don't understand that. Yeah. Ever. Just like... You ever see what I wrote about why people use a gun? Yeah. And like people were like, well, that's... You have no idea what you're talking... I'm like, no, I think I laid it out. Yeah. Pretty perfectly. well. Perfectly. So what other... other um, are there other avenues of comedy specifically that you'd like to you'd like to try that you'd like to like in terms of like adding things to like your repertoire is there something like you haven't tried yet that you that you'd like to as far as comedy goes musical comedy like yeah. incorporating cuz I'm a fuck I've been doing this for 2 years and I feel like such a fucking schmuck that I have not yet incorporated my 14 year built up talent mm-hmm. with the thing that I just started doing two years ago like that. I feel like a fucking idiot, but yeah, that doing musical comedy that you haven't become Stephen Lynch yet. Right, man. Yeah. I could have made it. Fucking there. idiot. I know. Yeah. Cause where's he right now? <laughs> I don't think I could. I, I don't He's know how fine. good I would be yeah, at like writing songs. Uh, but I mean, I, I like what I, what I've done with, you know, I just started doing this last week. Uh, that that joke. Oh wait, were you at Barrel House last week? No, I was sick. Oh, waiting to see. Right. I, I didn't know if I was waiting to see if I had COVID. You had COVID. <laughs> yeah, um, I had not COVID. So, so then you you might have saw the video that I made of it, but it's pretty much me being like, uh, so addiction took away a lot of things for me, but it never took away uh, my love for music. Like I, it never stopped me from writing songs and singing songs. Uh, so I'm gonna play for you guys a song that I wrote while I was in full blown opiate addiction. And then I pull up the guitar and I kind of finger pluck the song. And then I'm just like, you see? Man? <laughs> <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> Are you going to bring that to? Uh... And then the song ends with, hey, mom, can I borrow $20? <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking fun. Man. Are you going to bring that to Briggies? Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Fuck yeah. For sure. And I'll probably, like, I know, I don't know. I'd like to know what you guys think about this. That song that I do, it's like the rap compilation. Yeah. It's like the... You know. Hey, bitch. Yeah. So Excellent. it's... I don't know if you've ever seen me do this before, so... No, because it never comes to the barrel It's house. like a finger-plucking acoustic song, but it's the lyrics to Get Low by the oh, John East Side Boys. Yeah. One time. So I thought about, like, I don't know if it's appropriate to do that as part of my bit, because, like, I I didn't... Those aren't, I didn't write the lyrics, but I composed this version. I'm probably the only one to combine those four songs together. Like, I wonder if it's I like that. Like, if you, like if you brought that up at a club or something. And I was thinking, if I did it at Bricky's, I was thinking that's cold opener. Like, don't fucking introduce myself. Like, get brought up to the stage and just start playing that song. I mean, I, 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 I don't hate that idea, but that makes me laugh every time you play it. So. Yeah. Ultimately, it's a comedy show, so as long as it's right. making, people, making laugh, people laugh, yeah. yeah. But I just don't know if like, because that's it is my material, but it's not my I, shit. I I get the I get the 
the dichotomy on that because on the one hand it's like i didn't write these lyrics i didn't put them in this order but i wrote the melody yeah to the me and i it's 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 the weird owl like nobody's listening to fucking little john and laughing their ass off but when i play a little john song with my soft ass white voice yeah my beautiful melodic voice when you go up on stage funny. and say three six nine yeah. damn she fine. you know yeah i you call it a cover, man. I I don't think it'd be a problem. There's probably there's probably some old school gatekeeping fucks. Weird Al doesn't write the melodies to the songs that he does. He, he just, just switches up the lyrics. lyrics. Yeah. I say you do it personally because fuck the haters. I but I gotta pull twenty five minutes out of <laughs> to try to fill a lot of and time. I was, when I went to Cleveland, I was like, fuck yeah, I got twenty minutes. I even timed like each joke earlier that day or like the night before or something. I was like, yeah, I'm good. This all adds up to fucking twenty minutes. And then, like, I did all of the jokes that I had written down, and I, I thought I was great. I was like, fuck yeah, I crushed. I did really well. I was like, Ryan, how long was I up there? He was like, you're up there for about 14 minutes and 45 seconds. I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I've done that before. I've so, that before. yeah, I got a, there's a couple, like, I didn't tell my Easter Jesus heroin joke, uh, so that, that'll add a minute and a half. And then if I do that song, that's another two and a half minutes. If I do the, the new little uh, nodding off bit. I was told there'd be no math. You're doing a lot of math right now. I, yeah, I, I, I got to it. Just fucking do with it, man. There's, there's, there's going to be some gatekeepy old school fucking assholes who probably have a problem with it. Fuck them. Yeah. You know, I did, agree. Did, did, did it? You, I don't think it's hack shit. Like, I, don't I don't think, think it's it a is hack either. Thing to do. No, I don't. I I think it's fine, but I was a hack sixteen year old comic for a while. So who the fuck do I know? And what other comedian in Ohio has ever cold opened with a song? Not like I'm not uh, going to introduce myself. I mean, Haywood Banks, maybe. <laughs> yeah. That's different. That's different. A, a more tangible goal that I definitely <laughs> think about all the time. He's doing it on purpose now. <laughs> what? Oh, he, he was looking at his phone. He said tangible again. <laughs> For the third time. But uh, like a more reasonable goal. So the name of your first album is Vander. Tangible. <laughs> yeah, do you have a name for her? If you ever do. I have a name picked out for mine. Couple if you do a special? You no, know, if I do an album. Yeah. Do you, have you ever thought about that? Like if I ever did an album, I want to name it this. So I, I've I've thought about it. A few times, and it would be something along the lines of, uh, they shouldn't have let me out. <laughs> that's, that's good. The, that's the only thing I've ever come up with. That's good. I like that. But now I'm reconsidering tangible. <laughs> <laughs> What's share? Can you share yours with us? Or Yelling do you wait? words. Yelling words. <laughs> Yelling words. <laughs> <laughs> that's so, good. Yeah, that's, that's good. That's literally all it is. Yelling yeah. words. That's like Tom Segura's fucking mostly stories. Like, mm-hmm. That's his soul. That's his stand up. Fuck yeah. I used I mine make... already. White, oh, yeah. White, white, crayon. white crayon. Yeah. That was mine. I kind of did it just to get it out of the way because, like, I love that bit, but yeah. it's my favorite joke I've ever written. It gets a shitty reaction every time. I just don't care. It's my favorite fucking joke. So. Well, yeah. And you fucking you took the reins and you were like, I'm going to name my special after this joke my, that none of you can admire. Fuck you. Yeah. My 20 minute, <laughs> my 20 minute special that nobody's watched. Um, I have noticed that most comics, like, they. It's never their best joke that they name, Mm-mm. like ball hog. Like it's the one that, that it's joke. the one that the connects the one that that's their favorite. 
Yeah. It's either a reference to their favorite joke. Again, it's my favorite joke. Why? I don't know why. It just fucking is. Because I'm super fucking proud of it. I, I can't know. name mine balls deep in a 14-year-old boy. No, you can't. <laughs> I know a lot of people. Who says? A lot of people like I want to. Oh my god! (laughs) Name something absurd. Nine eleven. Nine eleven. You might be able to call it abortion. You might be able to call it resting mass shooter face. (laughs) I mean, yeah, we have one every other day, so no big deal. (laughs) There's gonna be a. You mean yeah? It's it. it, Yeah. Um, (laughs) It's a fucking off base at this point. I don't know, man. Um, again, I've spent so much time getting to know you over the last year that now this is for the listeners, man. I know it is. For Ask the me listener. questions that you know the answer to. What was heroin? <laughs> That's not what I was gonna. I was gonna ask what was what was what made you fall in love with your wife? Uh, what heroin? How did you How did you and your wife meet? <laughs> uh, we grew up together. We went to elementary school, middle school. We dated a little while when I was like thirteen years old. Uh, we. We found a mutual bond with Dane Cook's Vicious Circle <laughs> special. It was a good special. Great special. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we, we dated for a little while in middle school. I was an asshole. I broke up with her. I was at least honest with her. I was like, my friends uh, don't think that I should date you, so I'm breaking up with you. And that was in middle school. And, I mean, we I mean, we kept in touch. Like we, She's a talented musician as well, so she would do, like, the springtime talent shows at high school. And I would also do them, so we would kind of bond during that time. Uh, and then when I was 20, I hit her up for, uh, for some puss, <laughs> which she willingly gave to me. Uh, and, yeah, that was about, like, okay, so I went on a date with her to Waffle House in, like, Jan- <laughs> <laughs> This was in, like, January of 2014, about okay. a year before I got arrested. And then, like, I went, I was off doing my own shit, obviously, staying hooked on drugs. And around, like, end of September, early October, uh, I really started, like, seeing her, like, every night. That's when we we slept together for the first time. Uh, And, yeah, this was, like, a couple months before I got locked up. So, I got locked up. I was like, oh, well, this relationship is going nowhere. She's going to go find someone else that's not incarcerated long term. Mm -hmm. But she is a psycho and decided (laughs) to stick around. For the, like, she, at first we didn't know. We didn't know if I was really going to go away for a long time. Deep down I knew it, but I I never said it. But eventually, like, when the lawyer came to me with that plea agreement for four years, uh, I knew that it was, like, the best deal I was ever going to get. So when I told her that, I was like, I get it. If you don't want to stick around, I'm about to be away for a really long time. And she was like, no, I think you're pretty cool, so I'm going to stick around. Uh, I think it's more because we've known each other our whole lives. Like, she knows... That that's that like wasn't me. That's so, the worst version of you. Yeah, yeah. She knows like the, even even in the midst of being like hooked on drugs, like I was all I was kind to her. I was never like in in any way abusive. Like yeah, a lot of people that get hooked on drugs, they you know even if they don't realize it at the time, they'll be psychologically abusive, physically abusive, emotionally abusive. Uh, but I I was never that kind of person in my heart, and she saw that, so that's why she stuck around and yeah. Do you, why do you, why do you think, how does you think you manage to avoid that? You know, like you said, so many people, they get, they get hooked and it turns them into the worst versions of themselves. Why do you think it is you were able to avoid kind of inflicting that 
I think it's because I was never conditioned to be like that as a kid. Like I never, I never witnessed shit like that. Like it was never ingrained into who I am. Uh, So even though like being high on drugs, like you get these tendencies to be an asshole. Like uh, I just never acted on those tendencies, I guess, even to this day. Like I think fucked up shit all the time. I just don't like act on it. I think, I hope I'm not alone in that. I hope everybody has fucked up thoughts all day, every day, but Mm, yeah. At least twice. I don't act on them. I think that's the difference is a lot of people who are in addiction didn't have the same kind of upbringing that I did. Mm -hmm. They were raised in the streets. Their parents beat the shit out of each other uh, or they were hooked on drugs or both. They were a lot of them were like molested as children. Like, like I don't fit the criteria that most addicts fit as far as their upbringing. So. Being raised by by decent parents and having a good supportive family, like even though I fucking went off the deep end and did all that fucked up shit on my own time, like it was never really who I was. What what was it that like what getting getting a trying dr- you know the hard drugs for the first time since since you're saying like you came from you know a uh, a lighter background than yep. a lot of other addicts. Yep. So, Saying is white? Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's exactly what I'm you saying. You said yeah, lighter. I did say lighter. <laughs> As opposed, I didn't want to say better, um, but just... Uh, no, I mean, honestly, it's 100% true. Like, I had a better upbringing than a lot of so, people that are addicts. So then what was it you think that led to, like, trying for the first time and then sticking with it? Other than just the obvious things that come with being an addict. Once I was 15 or 16 and it, cause I was a pretty isolated kid before that. Like I was never really the popular kid. Like, I mean, I was nice to people and people were, I didn't like get bullied a whole bunch or anything like that, but I was pretty isolated. So around like probably between 14 and 16, the first time I like felt like an immense amount of social acceptance, like I could feel that people liked me. I fucking ran with that cause I'd never been through that in my life prior to that moment um so the social acceptance uh being wanted being liked being loved by people uh i i fell into this crew of people that smoked a lot of weed so i would smoke a lot of weed with them even though i really never liked weed at all for the most part we would just get too high i think that was the main thing uh but then, like, you know, high schoolers, we go to parties, we do dumb shit, you know, we, we get drunk, it's all fun and shit, and then, like, you know, pills start coming around. Everybody else that I was in high school with was okay with just, like, you know, popping a couple perks, uh, popping a couple Xanax, and having a good time for the weekend. But when I realized that taking specifically, like, prescription painkillers, like Percocet and Vicodin, uh, I realized that that made me feel way more comfortable with myself, and I was able to be more, like, socially driven and like get along with people and be funnier uh i enjoyed that so much that i just kept doing it and it doesn't take long to get like literally physically dependent on that shit so as far as then like getting sober in prison because you don't have much of a choice um what was the hardest part of the getting clean side of that other than the obvious of just trying to not do it again like was there a part like is there a part of it where you're like this was like this was just the fucking worst part of getting sober? 
Uh, I mean, the physical withdrawals sucked, and I told myself I never want to go through that shit again. But that in and of itself wasn't enough. It was coming to the realization that while I was hooked on pain pills and eventually, you know, heroin, um, there was the weed was still there too. Like I'm, I'm not trying to demonize weed or say that it was like the main part of my problem, but all that social acceptance that I craved and wanted from all my peers and friends, uh, I realized that I can get that with no drugs at all, even weed. Cause the weed is going to make me feel stupid. It's going to make me feel like a zombie and you know, I'm not going to be fun to be around. Uh, once I came to the realization that I can be fun to be around without anything at all. And I was like, okay, then this isn't so bad. I can be a good person. I can be a fun person. Cause you got to think from, from 15 when I started smoking weed to when I got locked up, like drugs were just there. Weed pills, uh, cocaine, acid, like the drugs were there in my life. I don't think I drew a, a completely clean or sober breath for that five years until I got locked up. And then now being, you know, in the comedy world where a lot of that stuff is, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty common. You know, most comics. It's our life. It's not, not, not our life, but yeah, it's, it's just, it's, it's the entertain. It's, it's the life of an entertainer is you're going to be surrounded by people who smoke weed, yeah. you know, do drugs. You know, I mean, we do a regular open mic at a, a bar every, you know, yeah. I mean, a lot of bars, but like, Barrel House, for example. How do how do you cope with going to like places like that and being in that environment without just like going nuts? I think that that side of me is just such a far away part of my history that it just doesn't it doesn't phase me. I don't even think about it like that. I'm just a different person now, and like I mean, you guys know, like I yeah. I mean, I, I'll drink some beers. Uh, I, I'll even smoke weed every now and then Not very often but uh, So yeah Being around it just doesn't bother me Because I know that like oh yeah, If I have a couple of beers I have a good time If I don't have a couple of beers I'll probably still have a good time uh, So yeah it doesn't bother me to be around it Now if we were fucking Sitting at the table throughout the whole open mic Sniffing coke And fucking blasting <laughs> heroin into our veins Then I'd be like oh shit Maybe this is not the place for me mm. But Booze and weed just, just, it doesn't phase me. And that's interesting because, you know, you hear a lot about a lot of guys when they, when they get over an addiction, like they, like all of it, they, they, yeah. they swear off. Has there been, and be, because addiction, addiction is, is very much locked in with, with, you know, of having a vice of some kind. Yeah. Is there a vice? A lot of people take up, like a lot of it will take up smoking cigarettes or coffee or so is there a vice that you think has kind of taken the place to fill that void that helps keep you off of it if you say comedy i'm gonna smack you so well, hard no no <laughs> it's never one thing like um i mean I, I think caffeine like i i abuse the shit out of caffeine drinking energy drinks and coffee and, and the shots and all that uh but for a while it was food and then that you know it's all it all comes in phases like there's always something there uh so yeah, it can be food, it can be caffeine, uh, it can be exercising, like, and yeah, you can smack me if you want, but sometimes it is comedy. Sometimes smack I you so hard. Put all that shit away, dick. and comedy is <laughs> all I need. Well, I mean, look at I mean, we we fought, we brought him up sometimes, like Scotty May is like, dude got jacked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of them, like you mentioned, the fitness thing, like a lot of them turn to fitness yeah. because it, it's it's the endorphin rush. Yeah. 
Um, so I get that. Want to jump in here? <laughs> I like being choked during sex. That was my <laughs> I like choking during sex. Um, <laughs> on dick. On dick. Um, trying to think. I had to type yeah. something and I lost it because I made uh, a comment. Oh. <laughs> um, I'm gonna edit this anyway, so it's fucking fine. So as far as um. So, you, you know, your wife is super supportive in all this. You know, she comes out to everything. She's an excellent photographer. She's going to be taking pictures at the show at the end of the month. Um, is do you, do you see yourself, like, a lot of people like to keep, especially comedians, like to keep, like, the personal life, like the relationship and all that separate from everything. Does having the wife around and then also going home to her every day do you ever worry about like the two worlds like overlapping too much and not having like that? Because like a g- good amount of like I hate these words separation, but yeah, having that work oh, life yeah. or you know, se- that separation in the lives can be important. I mean, Wells can attest. I mean, like Melissa never comes to a show; almost never comes to a show. Mm-hmm. You know, she you only comes to see a couple. Of only comes to see a couple of comics. And it's never you. It's always yeah. like somebody else. Um, <laughs> but do do you find that having that overlap with the personal life and and for lack of a better word, the professional life works for you, or do you like do you worry about that at all? No, I haven't given it much thought. Lori and I have like really a really good base of communication with each other because uh, she's you know fucking a liberal white chick. Activists, so gross. Like, gross. But that means that she, you know, advocates for shit like you know therapy and yeah. learning new things and finding new ways to be kind to one another and all that fucking libby dibby bullshit. But gross. it benefits the relationship. We have good boundaries with each other. Like, if she needs a minute alone, like she'll just go upstairs. She'll be like, "Hey, I just want to go upstairs and just hang out by myself, play my play Animal Crossing or some shit like that." And then the same with me, like you know. Most of the time, if you see me at an open mic and she's not there, it's because I'm like, hey, babe, uh, you know, I just want to go out. I want to do some comedy. I want to hang out with, with a couple of the guys. Uh, so, yeah, we, we have no problem with setting those boundaries with each other. Oh, so a healthy relationship. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. God damn it. <laughs> foreign to a lot of people. Her and I always brag to each other because we're like, <clears throat> we witness so many relationships like with people in my family, you know, people in her family. And we look at our own relationship and we're like, wow, like we are a great fit for each other. Like why does everybody around us, they always talk about like couples got to fight. Couples got to argue. It's a natural part of like Lori and I never fucking you argue. And, you and your wife, you two, I, I mean, and I'm, I'm saying this as, as a friend and as a hopeless romantic you two are so fucking in love with each other. It's yeah. almost, it's kind of disgusting. I mean, she's definitely <laughs> in love with me. Like, I don't know. Like you, like, like, cause I, cause I follow you both on Twitter. We're friends on Facebook. Yeah. Like, like one of you will post about how fucking hot the other one is. And it's then it's disgusting. It's, and then you like, she'll be like, my husband's so fucking hot. I just want to fuck his brains out. And then you, and you comment back. Yeah. Not if I fuck your brains out first, you <laughs> sexy bitch. Like you guys, like it, it is, you don't see that often anymore. Where the, like, like what is it that keeps that 
because you're around each other so much at home at the shows how other other than just a lot of choking and fucking like a lot of choking and a lot of choking and fucking get this shit we don't fucking hate each other's guts <laughs> what and that's we occasionally make pornography videos together <laughs> that's Dude, where I've seen, a, that's that, where i've seen those balls okay yeah, honestly, you might have <laughs> the video is right here. We've talked about like like goals and stuff like that. Is there any like one big like fear you have, or just something about like the long term of doing comedy that you're just kind of like hoping to avoid or worried about happening or anything along those lines? I guess what I, and this is only a potential worry, but I have a pretty clear conscience. Like, I don't think there's anything that could be dug up about me that would be, <laughs> like, crush me, like, Chris D'Elia style or anything. But I, that that would be, like, more of a paranoid fear. It's just, like, yeah. making it and being well-known enough, but then somebody pulling some shit up about, like, a fucked up thing that I did. You like feet pics. <laughs> Well, as a guy, you all go. Of my porn videos got shared around. Oh, <laughs> I never show my face, but if people saw fucking Lori's face, they would know. Yeah, that it's me, or they'd be like, "Dude, dude, your wife's filming porn with some dude with a little dick." <laughs> I'm like, and you're just like, "That's me." Well, it's definitely not me because mine's huge. <laughs> That's what she tells me, so I can come. <laughs> Shit. So yeah, but other than that, like I don't. I know that I'm a genuine person. I know that I try to be kind to everybody that I come across with. I'd be as supportive as I can of the other comedians. So other than, you know, the false paranoia of being made out like I'm an asshole or a piece of shit, that would be the only thing. I don't ever want to be put in a position where I have to, like, defend myself. Um, so you've kind of gone through about the darkest period of time in a life that anybody could really... Like like the rock bottomest of rock bottoms that anybody can probably hit. Is there? I, I just did a, I just did an interview with somebody on a on a mental health podcast, so I'm kind of got a lot of that in my head right now. Is there something you could, if you could say to you at your lowest point, not to change the outcome of anything, but just like if you could just say one thing to yourself at that lowest point, what would it be? Uh. Learn how to be a compassionate and open-minded person right now. Because I had, I had a lot of fucked up beliefs, and this is this was before the as the big discord in like the political and social culture that we're going through over the last three years. Uh, so this would have been obviously before that. Like I mean I, I was raised and conditioned to have like some fucked up beliefs about like gay people and black people. Uh, so, but I mean, I had, I had to learn that shit and learn what was right. Um, so you had to kind of unlearn some of that shit. Yeah. Yeah. So if I had to say something to the person I was at my lowest, it would be to fucking get that shit down now. Like, Mm. and really all it is is just being kind, loving and open-minded to anybody and whatever they're doing. Don't be a dick. Yeah, don't be a fucking asshole. Don't be, don't be a cunt. It's the, it's the easiest lesson in the world. Don't to learn. fucking step out of my own lane and say that I know some shit about some shit that I don't know about. Yeah, so you get like, shanked. <laughs> like I, 
Nobody should give a shit about gay people. Nobody should give a shit about trans people because they're not fucking hurting anybody. Mm. So, but yeah, back then, I think, I think every white person that was born 1999 or before at some point had some fucked up beliefs about cultures that we're not a part of. I thought, you know, I thought about that. When you look like it, like the shit like James Gunn went through when people drew when what's his fuck drug up like old tweets and shit like that. And, and the reason that I think James Gunn escaped kind of the career, not suicide, but like the career death that a lot of other people did is because he could also point to a time where he was like, or he was able to look back and say like, yeah, I said that shit. Here's why I did. Here's all the examples of me getting away from that. And changing, yeah, changing that outlook. And I thought about that because because you're absolutely right. anybody born before like '99, yeah. at some point was using a particular f starting yeah. slur that yeah. refers to gay people nonchalantly, not even about gay people in general, just using it, you know, in synonymous with just something being stupid. You know, all of us made Monica Lewinsky jokes. All of us made some pretty in retrospect, some pretty tasteless fucking things that we called jokes because it was dark and edgy and fucked up because we didn't know any goddamn better. But to be able to say that now, years later, I can look back and say, yeah, it wasn't right, and my thinking has changed. Yeah. I think that's ultimately, like, the underlying mark of a good person is to be able to say, "Yeah. yeah, this was a fucking mistake. And now I've changed my ways to where I'm not that person anymore. And I think that also goes back to like being an addict, yeah, to making the mistakes that you did, serving your time in prison, all of that worldview change is what leads to where you're at right now. Well, I know we've been going for a little bit here. I know we're about running out of time, um, because it's you know getting close to ten. I know you got to get going here. Um, Show on the 29th. Three mics and a mic at Bricky's. You know, it's probably the most time you've ever done yep. in terms of, you know, 15, 20 minutes, whatever. Um, it's essentially a show that, for lack of a better phrase, like you mentioned, like we are all kind of headlining it. Like, yes, we're doing different amounts of time. Yeah. We're all billed the same on the poster. It's 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 not Mike's show. It's not Wells' show featuring me yeah. and you. It's our show. Is there something with this show in particular? Like, is there something you want to that you want this show in particular to do? Like, is there is there any like is this show in any way like a device for you to achieve some kind of goal, whatever that goal might might fucking be? Is there something you want to use this show as a method to accomplish? Yeah. So I think when I did. Uh, the show up in Cleveland a couple weeks ago. Nobody aside from Haroff saw it that, you know, everybody assumed that I'd probably do shows that length all the fucking time. So my goal for this is I want not only to just have a good show, but I want uh, I want to prove to myself and prove to our community in Dayton that I can and I am capable of keeping a crowd's attention for 20 minutes, you know, 25 minutes if need be. Uh, 
Because then that goal that I have about, you know, getting a couple feature gigs by the end of the year. Like, I think uh, a good, successful set on the 29th can go a long way to help me achieve that goal. So basically, just open the doors, prove to people that I can do it, and maybe they'll hit me up with opportunities to do so. What's the most challenging thing you've experienced so far during comedy? Damn. That's actually, that's a fucking tough question to answer. Like, uh, was, was there, was there like a thing you hit where you were just kind of like, holy shit, this is fucking hard or like kind of put you in your place a little bit? I think when I was a little too antsy at first, like when I was only, you know, a couple months into doing open mics, uh, when I was like asking questions that, yeah, I was curious to, of the answer to the questions, but questions that I had no fucking business asking, like, how do I get booked on shows? How do I make money? Um, I think overcoming, like, humbling myself after that. When people are like, dude, you've been doing this for five minutes. Like, work on some shit. Keep working on it for a long-ass time. And then maybe those things will start to present themselves. Or at least you'll reach a point where you're more qualified to ask that kind of a question. But, like, you're a fucking noob. Like, you got no place asking these questions. When there's people that have been busting their ass for four or five years that aren't getting the opportunities that you think you deserve. Uh, so humbling myself when people kept it real with me when I was asking those questions, uh, it was challenging because I'm naturally, I, I don't think I'm an incredibly humble person. I can be a little grandiose, a little arrogant for sure. Uh, so yeah, eating that crow was pretty challenging. Eating that crow's pussy. Entitlement, white people entitlement. <laughs> you know what it is. Well, dude, I mean, like, appreciate you, like, like taking. The, I mean, obviously, like, you've been on the show a lot now, and 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 you know, we, we've gotten to know each other a lot over the last year, but like, still sitting down and just, you know, willing to be willing to open up and and talk about this shit. A lot of which you already talk about on stage, yeah. You know, for the sake of entertainment and comedy, but to talk about it in an earnest kind of way is, yeah is really cool and and i'm glad you had this idea of us interviewing each other um you know mike's been in the hot seat with me a couple times already and yeah you know we, we we've talked over the year over, over the years over the year um over so the over, over the year so um but no I, I appreciate you doing it and I'm, I'm glad we're do i'm glad we're all doing this show together um you know it's it, it, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a blast. I think we're going to have above a all else, it's just going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, we're going to have a great time. And um, you know, I know, I know, life is 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 tough right now. And uh, you know, you know, you and the wife are going through some shit. I know you guys are dealing with car problems and and just you know, money sucks right now. So um, I'm glad that you're still that you're not letting that keep you down yeah. and that you're still doing the thing. And, um, you know, glad you guys are too, glad you're just still hanging around and, yeah. you know, just want you to know that like the Dayton comedy scene from my perspective anyway, has seen the work you've put in. You, you've worked your ass off. You've worked your ass off and we've seen the support that, you know, Lori has offered, you know, you, you, you and Lori are both, staples of this of, of the Dayton comedy scene as much as anybody else and so I'm glad that you're here I'm glad that you're thank you that we're doing this with you so I'm glad to be doing it 